Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Tuesday, April 23rd. In today's news, Nancy Pelosi tells her members she has no immediate plans to open impeachment proceedings. President Trump sues to block the House subpoena of his financial records. And the Supreme Court is taking up what could be landmark cases on gender identity. But first, the big idea. Sri Lankan officials described the devastating string of bombings on Easter that killed at least 321 people as a direct response to the attack on two mosques in New Zealand last month. Three hotels and three churches were attacked on Sunday by suicide bombers belonging to the radical Islamist group National Thawheed Jamath in an operation that authorities appear to have had advance warning about. The Minister of Defense made the connection in a speech to Parliament today. He did not offer any evidence and did acknowledge that there were security lapses that allowed the attack to occur. The health minister has called for the resignation of the country's top police official for not stopping the attacks despite having weeks to follow up on reports that the group was planning to target churches. Two officials provided the Washington Post with a three-page intelligence report in which a senior police official warned of potential suicide attacks by the same Islamist extremist group. The authenticity of those documents was verified by the defense minister. A member of Sri Lanka's parliament who was briefed on the report tells our reporters on the ground that it was based on information from Indian intelligence agencies. Another Sri Lankan security official characterized Thauhid Jamath as a shell for the Islamic State and said it has been active in Katankudi, an area in the eastern part of the country and home to one of its largest Muslim populations. The group's leadership is believed to be based there. By Tuesday morning, 40 people had been arrested. Authorities said the main attacks were carried out by seven suicide bombers. Police have been given emergency powers to detain and question suspects without a court order. Such powers were used extensively during Sri Lanka's civil war, but haven't been implemented since 2011. As news of the supposed advance notice about the attacks spread, mourners responded with rising anger mixed with grief at funerals and other gatherings in Christian communities. Anger at the government looks like it may boil over. There is a team of FBI agents on the ground. The American intelligence community is trying to figure out whether this local group had overseas help or whether any of the suicide bombers trained in Syria with ISIS. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo yesterday blamed, quote, Islamic radical terror for the attacks. This is America's fight, too, he said at a news conference. Although ISIS's caliphate has been destroyed with the collapse of the group's last strongholds in Syria, Pompeo warned that radical Islamist terror remains a threat. At least four Americans are among the dead, and several others were seriously injured. Officials at the elite Washington area private school Sidwell Friends, where the Obama girls went, confirmed the death of one of its students. The fifth grade boy, Kieran Shafritz de Zoysa, had been on leave for the past year in Sri Lanka with his parents. Ben Nicholson and his wife, Anita, were sitting down for breakfast with their two children when the bombs went off. The family was on holiday in Sri Lanka, something Nicholson attributes to his wife's commitment to providing a culturally fulfilling life for their kids. The British family of four went to the restaurant at the Shangri-La Hotel in Colombo, which is very popular with tourists. But Ben Nicholson was the only one that survived the explosion, detonated by a suicide bomber who was standing in line at the restaurant's buffet on Easter.
Ben says Anita and their children, a 14-year-old boy named Alex, and an 11-year-old girl named Annabelle died instantly. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi told lawmakers last night that there are no plans to open impeachment proceedings against Trump. In a rare Monday night conference call, the California Democrats stressed that the near-term strategy in the wake of Bob Mueller's report is to focus on investigating the president and seeing where the inquiries lead. Members of Pelosi's leadership team reaffirmed her cautious approach, according to four officials on the call who talked to us afterward. But Pelosi's message didn't go over well with several Democrats who argued that Congress has a duty to hold Trump to account with impeachment, despite the political blowback Pelosi has long warned of. Congresswoman Val Demings, a Democrat from Florida, a member of the House Judiciary Committee, argued during the call that as someone with more than 25 years of experience in law enforcement, the House has enough evidence to proceed. Jared Huffman from California said the party has a duty to openly discuss the downside of not impeaching Trump for his actions and the precedent it could set for the future. Mueller, in his 448-page redacted report released last week, identified 10 instances of potential obstruction of justice by Trump. The report is dividing presidential candidates as well. Kamala Harris last night joined Elizabeth Warren during a New Hampshire town hall broadcast on CNN in calling for the start of impeachment proceedings. Other Democrats, though, including Bernie Sanders, said impeachment would embolden Trump and his supporters and lead to his almost certain re-election in 2020. The Senate would also not vote to remove the president. Number two, the president sued his own accounting firm and the Democratic chairman of the House Oversight Committee at the same time on Monday afternoon, trying an unusual tactic to stop the firm from giving the committee details about Trump's past financial dealings. The lawsuit filed in federal court here in D.C. seeks a court order to quash a subpoena issued last week by the committee to Mazars USA. Trump's lawyers are also asking a federal judge to temporarily block the subpoena until the court has had a chance to fully review their request. This amounts to Trump, the leader of the executive branch, asking the judicial branch to stop the legislative branch from investigating his past. Top lawyers from both sides of the aisle who have worked in the White House and in Congress agree that this challenge is a long shot, a very dubious legal merit, and clearly a delaying tactic meant to stonewall investigations. The lawsuit comes as House Democrats issue another subpoena likely to touch a nerve for the president. The chairman of the House Judiciary Committee on Monday ordered former White House counsel Don McGahn to testify before his panel next month and hand over documents and records pertaining to federal investigations of Trump, his finances, his campaign, and the allegations that he sought to obstruct justice. McGahn is a main character in the Mueller report. For its part, the White House yesterday instructed Carl Klein, the former director of personnel security, to not show up for scheduled questioning with the House Oversight Committee. The White House told Klein, who pushed through Jared Kushner's security clearance over the strong concerns of the intelligence community, to ignore a summons from Congress. Klein now works for the Defense Department. His attorney sent a letter saying his client will adhere to the White House's instructions. Number three. The Supreme Court will rule on whether federal anti-discrimination laws prohibit discrimination based on gender identity or sexual orientation. The justices announced Monday that they accepted three cases involving gay and transgender employees for the term that will start in October. The issue has percolated for years in lower courts, and the justices spent months deciding whether now was the time to review those rulings. They've decided to grant cert on three specific cases— one involves a transgender funeral home director 
who won her case after being terminated because she came out as transgender, a gay skydiving instructor who successfully challenged his firing, and a social worker who was unable to convince a lower court that he was unlawfully dismissed because of his sexual orientation. This is sure to be one of the new docket's most controversial topics, raising the profile of both the Supreme Court and gay rights as top issues in June 2020, when the presidential campaign is in full swing and the decisions are likely to be handed down. They will be the Supreme Court's first major gay rights cases without Justice Anthony Kennedy, who was the deciding vote and wrote the majority opinions in all of the landmark victories for gay rights, including the right to marriage in 2015. And that's The Daily 202 for Tuesday, April 23rd. Thank you for listening. I'm James Hellman. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.